We'll turn to uh, Ruth chapter 4. We are finishing up the book of Ruth this morning. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful process for me. I hope it has been for you. And um, We're going to read verses 13 through 22. I'd love for you to stand and follow along as I read. Ruth chapter 4, starting with verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Father God, you are good. And we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would speak it into our hearts. God, use your word, Lord, to change us, to grow us, to redeem today, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, this is the conclusion of the book of Ruth, obviously. It's the last section here, the last part of the book of Ruth. And, and the conclusion here is really a reversal in the story of, of the introduction of the story. If you remember the beginning of the story, if you've read it before or, or have been here through the sermons, the beginning of the story was pretty like, what is going on? And there's a lot of hardship and difficulty and, and dark clouds that have come over the, the life of, of Naomi. And, and, and this is kind of a reversal of that to show kind of how God has changed the circumstances for Naomi and how, how he has restored Naomi's life through Ruth's love. Right? He gave her Ruth and it was through Ruth that he restored her life. I was thinking and, and praying through that this, this week as I was preparing and just wondering who might God use you or me to restore. I mean, certainly Ruth didn't know when she married Naomi's son that God was going to use her supernaturally to restore Naomi's life. And, and, and way bigger than that, as we look at this passage, setting up the line, the lineage of Jesus. She was just living and trusting God and following him. And God used her to do incredible things. I wonder, I wonder if, if God would use us to do things to restore people's life if we would just love the way that Ruth loved. I mean, we see how she loved people. I mean, it's, it's incredibly obvious how she gives herself to Naomi and commits herself to Naomi, and not just by word, but by her actions. It's just love, so loving and, and faithful in this commitment of love to Naomi. It's amazing how, as followers of Jesus, we can become so self-absorbed that we miss out on what God is doing. 
All of us, me, just as guilty. We can become so self-absorbed. And even in our, our serving others, even in our loving others, we can get into this rut of loving and serving for me because we want something out of it. And I'm really loving this person or serving this person because I see a means of what might be coming for me. But what if we loved genuinely the way the scripture tells us to, the way that God, when he works in our hearts, helps us to? What if we loved that way? Would God use us the way he's used Ruth to radically change and and restore people's lives? Are we genuinely loving the people around us? Are we edifying and building up the body of Christ? Are we praying for each other? I think of Romans uh, chapter 12. I want to read some verses to you from Romans chapter 12. And what we're called to as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, starting with verse 9. We're not going to break all of this down. It's, it's, it doesn't need to be. It speaks for itself. You may have it as a heading over this section, marks of a true Christian. It's not in the original language, but it's certainly true. What we're called to as followers of Jesus. Starting with verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, for, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That sounds a lot like Ruth. I mean, it sounds like how she lived, how she committed herself to Naomi, how she loved and how God used her through that love, through that commitment to bring about his plans and his will. That's what we're called to. And and what would God do? What would God do through you? What would God do through me to restore people's lives? I mean, we talked about last week and how the big picture of the book of Ruth is redemption. In this picture of Christ coming and he's our redeemer, just as Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth, that Christ is our redeemer. But he uses us to restore people to himself. And what would it be like 
if we were to love the way Ruth loved, and just the same way that the Lord restored Naomi's life through Ruth's love, what will he do through us? Verse 13, where we start off here, says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. We talked about the marriage thing last week. They got married. Redemption has taken place, and, and, but God doesn't end there. He blesses, and, and he allows, he gives a child to them. It says, the Lord gave her conception. Just, just like talking about in Psalm 139, where God knows us intimately, and he knitted us together. He pieced us together. He wove us together. I love that picture of, of just God working and putting us together in our mother's womb. It's God who does that. It's the Lord who's in control of that. It's the Lord who blesses with that. You know, when, when uh, Sean and I, I think, had three uh, children, after that point, it's kind of like people don't know whether to pity or to celebrate with you when you tell them, hey, we're pregnant. And there was... There was for number five was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, for our 14th anniversary, I was on the couch and Shauna came up. She said, here's your card. And I open up the card and, and I'm reading and it says 14 years and five kids later. And I'm like, I'm thinking through my head and she's, I mean, she's not the best at math, but like, I know she's like <laughs> way better than that. Like she can count. And so I'm thinking through and I'm like, oh my, and I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to respond. I felt like some of you felt when we told you we're pregnant and you're like, you know, you have too many. Um, and, and, and so at first, but always, it's always that knowing and that understanding and that, that grasping that God, you did this. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. God gave them. This child, God blessed with this child. God did that work. He knitted that baby together. And that's what it's saying here. The Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Verse 14, then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. I love this because you remember the last time the ladies got together. At least that we know in the book, right? is when they came back to Bethlehem, right? And the last time these ladies got together, they were saying things like, is that, is that really you, Naomi? What happened? What happened to Naomi? She doesn't look the same. She went and she was married. She comes back. She left. She had two boys. She comes back. She has no husband, no children. What's going on? Who's this foreigner with her? The last thing they got together, talking things like that. Now they're celebrating, they're worshiping and they're coming together and they're rejoicing over what God has done in Naomi's life. Instead of saying things like what happened, saying things like, is this really you? Now they're saying, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be God. Look what he's done. Praise God. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name, may his name be renowned in Israel. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Who, who are they referring to? Who's the redeemer? Is it Boaz? It's not. It's the child. They're talking about the child. Look, look further. 
who's not left you without a redeemer. Verse 15, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. To this restorer of life, to this redeemer. It wasn't Boaz, it was the son. And certainly we're looking ahead now, prophetically, we're looking ahead as, as, as the Holy Spirit has inspired the writing. We're looking ahead to the ultimate redeemer, the ultimate restorer through this line that's going to come through this line. And that's Christ. The child is the restorer. And, 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 and here back in this small picture, it's, it, it makes sense, right? Because Naomi comes back to Bethlehem without hope, except in God. But rationally thinking, she has no husband. And she's lost her sons, and she's old, and she has no hope of having another child. And so the hope of, of, of her life, of her inheritance, of, of all the things we've been talking about through this book is gone. And God gives her this son as a restorer, as a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. You think of that as you look ahead and, and this lineage that goes down all the way through Christ. And as we think of the grandchildren, grandchildren, great, 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 grandchild Jesus, his name will be renowned in Israel and all the world. He shall be to you a restorer of life. That literally means he who causes life to return. He will cause life to return. And think about Naomi, when she came, she complained that the Lord had brought her back empty, right? I mean, no more husband, no more sons, empty. And now these women are worshiping the Lord who has caused life to return to her. It says also they're worshiping because God had given her Ruth, who is more to Naomi than seven sons. That's a pretty big statement in this culture. Given you Ruth, who's more to you than seven sons. I don't know if you, you know the Jewish culture, Old Testament culture, but you would want seven sons. We would be admired having seven boys. We would be admired. That was a, that was a, a you prayed for that. Sons to carry on the name. It was huge in the culture for these ladies to say that this woman is more to you than seven sons. It just shows the respect that Naomi had for Ruth and that certainly this whole community has gained for Ruth as they've observed and watched this commitment, the character of this lady as she's committed herself to the Lord ultimately, but to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Just the faithfulness and godliness and, 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 and just being this worthy woman. Again, we get back to this that we've, we've kind of seen through the whole book of how character matters. It matters. If I'm calling myself a follower of Christ, it matters how I'm living. It matters the decisions I make. It matters the places I go. It matters the things I say. It all matters because it's character. And do people see in me and through me the things that I'm saying I believe in? Or is it just talk? Just words. It matters. We see character in Ruth.
Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. She cared for the child. It's almost as if she would be a foster mother is what a nurse would, would be. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. You hear that? Not to Ruth, to Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi. What does that mean? It has to do with Elimelech, right? The whole process, the redeemer who, who came, Boaz, who, who came to restore and to um, continue that line of Elimelech. So now a son has been born to Naomi. I, I mean, to think through these circumstances that have happened in Naomi's life. I mean, she came back a childless widow. And her words were best that we could think, same things that we would say. There's no hope. As she talked to her two daughters-in-law, just go back. There's no hope for you. There's no way I'm going to have more children. Even if I were pregnant right now, even if I had a a boy in my womb now and and I gave birth to him, are you really going to wait around? Go back. My, My life is bitter. Just go back. But God had different plans. And there was a Redeemer. And he did restore Naomi's life through this child. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Just amazing how God has worked and provided and moved through this whole process. I mean, would we have ever thought, right? The beginning of this book, as we start reading, that this is where it's coming to. Maybe you read it before. Obviously, if you've read it before, you know, hey, I know what's coming. I know what the last page of this book says. But as we first read this, you don't, we wouldn't expect that this is what's going to come out of the story. From bitterness to just beauty. Verses 18 through 22 gives this, this picture of this lineage. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Just another picture for us how the Lord repaid and rewarded Ruth. And through this whole process, as we see through 18 through 22, the Lord brought about a new family line. This is a this is a foreign girl from Moab. And now she's a part of this line that's, that's going to continue to go all the way into Matthew chapter 1, which we'll look in a second, to Christ. The Lord has brought her into this, this picture, this story. So he's brought about a new family line, which became through David the greatest family line in all of Israel. It's the line of Christ. I don't know, I mean, who would have seen this coming for Ruth and, and for Naomi at the beginning of the story? I think we have to learn from this, right? I mean, if we look at the first verses of, of this book and the days when the judges ruled, just from those first words, we know that the circumstances that they're living in are horrible. If you just turn the page before and find out what the days of the judges were like, it's not good. Circumstances are bad and things are difficult and there's trials and tribulations and all of these things that are happening. 
People are far from God doing all that they want to do in their own eyes, not doing what he's called them to, not doing what he's commanded them to. And in all these circumstances, we begin this story of Ruth. In the days when the judges, when all this terrible stuff is happening, there's a famine. There's another bad thing. And a man from Bethlehem, whose name is Elimelech, decides to take his family and move to Moab. There's another really bad thing. They go to the place they're not supposed to go to. And not just that, his two sons get married to Moabite women, which God commanded, don't do that. And as they're making these just decisions in their life, we think, what's going to happen? What's going on? And all the while, God's working and moving. I think what we have to learn through this is, no matter what the circumstances are, we have to trust God. We have to trust Him. We have to trust the Lord when things are. Not just when they're bitter and not just when they're sweet. Some of you are good at one and some of you are good at the other. When things are really good, you're really good with the Lord. Or, or some of you are the opposite. When things are really bad, then you get drawn closer to the Lord and you need Him in those moments. And so what we have to learn from this is we just trust the Lord in all circumstances. Whether it's bitter or sweet, we trust God knowing that as we read through this, we see that he's at work always. He's not surprised by our seemingly curious or difficult circumstances. He's not surprised by that. He's moving and he's working and he's doing for his glory, not for ours, but for his glory. He's moving and working, having his way, working out his will. And so we trust him. And we, we sing to him and we know, God, you're good. And I don't understand these circumstances, but you understand these circumstances. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you have planned. I don't, I don't know. But I know you're good. And I know you're working. And I know that you have a plan that's greater than my plan. Whether I like this circumstance or I don't like this circumstance, your ways are higher than my ways and, and your plans are higher than my plans and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You're God and I trust you. Verse 21, just quickly, and, and we could pick all sorts of these apart. We're just going to pick a couple. It says, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. You can see this ancestry line in, in Matthew 1, verse 5. And jot that down, look there. Matthew 1, verse 5. Let's just jump to verse 3, actually. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Now, who's Rahab? She's a prostitute. She's a prostitute that hid the spies that, that, that Joshua sent in to, to spy out Jericho. She's a prostitute. And here she is in this line that God is wonderfully working together for his son to come into the world. And not just that, but as you look through the lineage, it was, it was strange that women would even be included in a genealogy. 
Because the descent was usually traced through men. It has nothing to do with equality. It's just that the, the descent would be traced through men. And so as you read through, usually it's through men. And yet we see here women listed in this genealogy. Not just any women. Rahab and Ruth are Gentiles. Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba are women of questionable character. Here they are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Because this, this lineage is comprised of men and women and adulterers and prostitutes and heroes and Gentiles. And Jesus will be the savior of all of them. There, there are no perfect people throughout the scriptures except for Jesus. They all have problems. They're liars and prostitutes and, and, and murderers. And, and that's why Jesus came. To save even his, his line, even his lineage needed a savior. And that's why he came. To redeem people like Rahab, to redeem people like Perez, to redeem people like Bathsheba, to redeem people like you and me. Just a couple of thoughts as we finish the study. Number one, even in the darkest times and darkest circumstances, God is moving, God is provident, God is working. Now you think of this book of Judges, and this is a dark, dark time. How many, how, many, how many of you heard someone ask when something big happens, something major happens, whether it's an earthquake or a tsunami or, or whatever it is, and you hear people ask this question, where's your God now? Where's your God when bad things happen? Where's your God when things, things like this happen? Here's the beauty of the book of Ruth. As you can look and you can see and you can read what God is doing when bad things happen. I mean, this whole book is in the midst of really bad things happening. Just read the book of Judges. And that's the setting for this book. And there's famine. And there's difficulty. And where is God in the midst of this? Is he hiding? Is he quiet? Is he, is he kind of trying to figure things out? Is he trying to come up with a plan in heaven? Things have gotten really bad on earth. I've got to figure something out. I've got to put something together. Maybe he's calling the angels together and you've got to help me out here. I don't know what to do. This has gotten worse than I ever thought it would become. No, he's working. And here you have this, this we would think, insignificant farmer named Boaz and this foreigner named Ruth and God is working in and through them to bring about his purposes throughout all of this. He's moving and he's working to do what he wants to do, to do what he's planned to do. This is what I get from that, that God loves you. He loves us. God loves that little child right there. He loves us. No matter the circumstances, that he loves me intimately, individually, personally. God loves us in our circumstances. He hasn't forgotten you in your circumstances. 
And he won't forget you in your circumstances. I mean, honestly, can we just grasp the picture of this? This is not a small, tiny little world that's going on at this time. There's bigger things. Just, if you doubt this at all, just read the book of Judges and see what's going on around this circumstance. And God loves us so much and he loves his name so much to, to see himself glorified that he's working in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this trouble, in these two individuals. And through those two individuals to, to reach a nation and a world. Who would have seen that? You may have lived in the time of the judges and just been like, where's Yahweh now? What's he doing now? All the while, he's, he's making a way for a savior. You may think of, of your own circumstances and, and, and you may think or say, you don't understand. You don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand it. And I'll be totally honest. I probably don't. I might not. I mean, I haven't walked in your shoes. I haven't gone down your path. I haven't. I haven't. The only thing I know is God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God has not failed you. God is madly in love with you. That's what I see here. And he's working and moving for his glory through all circumstances. He's completely in control and he's worthy of our trust and affection, no matter what our circumstances are. Christ is worthy of our trust and affection, no matter what. And my response should be that I should... Come to him just like Ruth. The same as Ruth. Leaving everything behind to come and find refuge, to find grace, to find redemption under his strong and faithful and loving wings. That I should trust him. Because he's worthy. I'm going to close with this uh, quote from Alistair Begg on the book of Ruth. Is this the story of Ruth is a story of God's providence. It's a reminder to us that we are not held in the grip of blind forces. We're not swept along on the sea of chance. We're being trained in the school of God's providence. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are absolutely in control. Jesus, that you're completely worthy of our trust and our worship, and our affection. God, I thank you for how you work and how you move, Lord. Your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Jesus, you reign. Lord, we praise you that we can look back through your word and see how you worked through these two individuals to bring about glory for yourself to bring about redemption for us and the significance of of these two individuals and how you worked through difficulty and hardship and trial and and you saved and you continue to save god i pray that you'd use your word i pray that you'd use these words from ruth
just this testimony of your working and individuals and caring for individuals and loving individuals and all the while as you work and care and love you're saving and you're bringing about paths of redemption and restoring people's lives i pray not that my words lord i pray that that word that your word as we look at it through ruth as we've looked throughout the scriptures god that you would plant that in hearts. Father God, you and only you can save. You and only you can redeem. And so I pray, Lord, for every person here today, God. Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know this relationship with you, who's never experienced this love for and especially from you, God, who's never felt what it's like to be ransomed and redeemed by the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, would you use this word to open hearts, to open eyes, to give understanding to who you are, to draw people to yourself, Lord, through your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.